Now today is what we call a standalone sermon, which means it's not connected to a series. Matter of fact, for the rest of June and part of July, that's what it'll be. It'll be just, just a message that's on the heart, that is burning in my soul. And this one right now, Psalm 84, I've been going through the Psalms. I'm just taking a Psalm a day. I'm not in a hurry. I used to go, oh, I'll read five a day. And then I felt I was just ch checking a box. So I just zero in on one, and this particular psalm, a couple weeks ago, just hit me. And I said, you know, I'm going I'm to open that, that book up. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphone devices, go to Psalm 84, because that's where we're camping out today. Now, in the past, we've talked about, we've mentioned the Westminster Catechism, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And one of the first things there in that confession is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You, me, we are all created for a reason. You were given gifts and talents. You're here, you're taking breath for a reason. There is no mistake. And God did this for his pleasure. He did this that we would bring glory to him by using that which he has given us to bring glory to his name, but in the, as well to enjoy him forever. And the main point I want us to get to at Psalm 84 is this. The good news of the gospel, you get God. Now, there are a lot of things that the gospel provides and, and benefits from that. But ultimately, the gospel brings us to God. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ died for our sins once for all the just for the unjust, for the unrighteous in order that to bring you to God. That was the sole purpose. The sole purpose of Christ coming to the earth, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, is to bring you to God. The gospel ultimate message is that you get God. One writer, Jimmy Needham, says this, Christianity is a religion of delight, but not any delight. It's delight in God himself. In Psalm 84, if you, you have it there, if you, especially if you, well, it probably does this on your online. I didn't check the online versions, but especially in the printed form, at the top, it'll say Psalm 84, then underneath it, it'll give a little description before the psalm goes. And in that description, it says, for the director of music. So this is a song, psalm, song, a director of music, according to Gedith, whatever that means, right? Gedith, what's a Gedith? And this, for the sons of Korah, a song. Now, what's great about that word getteth is this. It means literally sweeter than the joy of a wine press. Now, for some of you who are in the wine business, that's a probably a good sound because that means you're making money. That means something's happening. And for those who like wine, you're enjoying that too because that means a future wine. And for, but for some of you wine drinkers, I, I don't get that. So let me put it in our terms. Sweeter than the smell of bacon cooking. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but there's nothing like a smell of bacon. I could be having the worst day in my life and walk into my house and my wife's cooking bacon. All things go away at that point in time because you can never have enough bacon, all right? Right? Or the sound of a laugh of a child. I mean, talk about putting, I mean, a little Hazel man, Alexander, we were here yesterday, at our house yesterday, dinner and everything. And just to hear Deb laugh, again, I don't care what your, your day is like. 
It just puts a smile on your face. It puts a joy because that's, that's what Psalm 84 is supposed to be. Okay. Now, when you look at the Psalms, you've got probably the most popular Psalm, Psalm 23, which most of us can quote much of it. Psalm 113 is considered the most joyful. Psalm 119, not only the longest chapter in the entire Bible, but it talks about the all-sufficient one we have. Psalm 51, the most penitent. But Psalm 84, the most sweet. Or as one writer said it, it's called the pearl of all psalms. So let's look. Psalm 84, it's only 12 verses. The first one says this. How lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord Almighty. Now, most likely David has written this psalm, and you have to see that David, when he's talking here, he's not talking from Jerusalem. Most likely he's on the run from King Saul who wants to take his life. And so this is talking about his dream of the tabernacle. And even the tabernacle, it's not the temple because the temple hasn't been built yet. This tabernacle was this traveling, basically temple. It was a, you know, motorhome temple type thing. They would just travel wherever they went. And so it says, how lovely is your dwelling place. This word dwelling place, some of your translations do say tabernacle, means a tent. It means a dwelling. It means home. David is saying, guys, there's no place like home. I mean, like after a long travel, you've been traveling, and you might have gone to beautiful places, but there's nothing like coming home. And this is the idea that David has about where God is, where God resides. How lovely is your dwelling place, your home. That's why verse 2 says, My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. This is that deep down desire that he just can't wait to be there. Just in the courts. Just to be outside walking around where God is, where God's power is, where he resided in the tabernacle, where the cloud, the, the fire, the pillar of fire all resided. That's where God was. And he just wanted him. My soul yearns. This is like a deep ache inside. It's kind of like last night with Hazel May. And she, I said, hey, we got a treat. And she's trying to eat their chicken. I said, you want that? I want my treat now. You have to finish the chicken. And there's a, she just couldn't get off the mountain. That guy, we had a treat for her, some, some dessert, because that's that desire, that yearning. She wants it. That's what David is. I mean, this, this is like he is homesick, because, again, he's out and about trying to keep alive from Saul. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I mean, very seldom does our flesh cry out for the right thing, all right? Usually our flesh cries out for not good things. I mean, there's that yearning to go, yearning to go there, but David said, my heart and my flesh, everything about me just desires to be at his house. Charles Spurgeon, who's a preacher from the late 1800s, said this. Some, some need to be whipped to church. Well, here's David crying for it. And a lot of reasons we come to church. Some is because we want to be in, with God's people. We want to be in God's house. We want to worship together. Some, well, I have to go. There might be some here that feel like I have to check a box. You know, that way God will be happy with me this, this week. Some are here because you don't get lunch unless you came, maybe. I don't know. Um, 
But here is David yearning, desiring. Every part of his body is crying out for that. And the good news of the gospel is that we get God. The gospel brings a lot of things. It brings a thousand gifts to us. That's what Ephesians says. It brings forgiveness of sins, relief from God's wrath, escape from hell, heaven forever, promise of a new glorified body. I mean, there are a lot of things, and those, all those scriptures are in your notes. You can look those up. But there's something better than all of that. And all of that does not compare to what David is talking about here. Verse 3 says, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. There's several songs that we sing on a Sunday morning from this song. This is one of my favorite the ones that I, my go-to song uh, right here is at verse 3. Even the sparrow. I mean, David's envious of birds. Even the sparrow has found a place. The swallow has built her nest right next to your altar. And let's not miss here when it says the nest for ourselves where she may have her young. I mean, even the sparrow knows, man, to be close to the Lord. And, I, and again, I, I think of this in the context of bringing our children to the house. Now, some of you said, hey, it's a relief for an hour and 15 minutes. So, you know, I'm away from my kids. But, but part of that is I get to bring them to God's house and We've got great teachers and a great program, and they're going to learn about Jesus, and they're going to be with their friends. I mean, of the benefit that is there in the gathering. And when he's, he's envious, I, again, he's not there. He's not near the tabernacle. He's on the run, but his heart's not. I mean, he may not be standing in the courts, but he loves his kids. And his heart, everything is desiring to be in that place. Psalm 84, verse 4 says this, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they are ever praising you. And then there's that word, Selah. Blessed, three times we'll find in Psalm 84, this word blessed. And it's always talking about being in his house, being in his house, being in his now, I, I don't want you to think that God only lives here. I remember when we had the church uh, uh, down, down, down on C Street and uh, one of our first events there, we had a big kid thing and we brought a jumper in the what we call the sanctuary. That's why if you're new here, we don't call this a sanctuary. This is, this is the big room. And we, the reason is the big room because you guys are the sanctuary. It's not a building. This is just the building. And we had a couple who was really kind of angered by the fact that we had a jumper in the sanctuary of God. And I called them over, and there was a baptistry in, you know, behind the pulpit there. I said, God's not behind the curtain. Okay. This, this is his house from the standpoint that this is the church. You guys are the church. This is just the building. See, the beauty of the Gospels, I don't have to go to a tabernacle to be with God. God is always with me. I get God in the process. And when he's saying, blessed are those who dwell in the house, ever, he's saying there's something sacred, guys. There's something sacred about home. 
There's something sacred about this place. I, I believe that. Some of you said, man, I, I ran into a, a gal yesterday at the store. She says, I'll be coming back because it just feels like home. Now, it's etched in the front. If you've never seen that on the front as you walk in the door, it, you know, this, this feels like home. Because Not because, well, we need to develop a place that feels like home. Guys, you make it feel like home. That, we only put that there because everyone can. I just feel like I'm home when I walked in this place. There is something sacred, but the sacredness comes from all of us being together, having one thing in common. When we sing together, when we worship, when blessed are those who dwell, who are ever praising you. Guys, let's not forget that when we praise, it's not to see how good we sing or how great the band sounds. It's lifting our voices to praise him. But one commentator said about that ever praising you, the fear here is that David has drawn a picture of what should be than what is. I mean, I had to think about that. I mean, sometimes for pastors, you know, we can technically, this is my job. I mean, I have to have to be here. Uh, I mean, that's what you hired me to do, hired a staff to do, hired the band. I mean, we're supposed to be here. How easy it is for those who are supposed to be working for the king can miss them. Can't forget that this is not just trying to put on a show, but we're trying to organize a service that we can all lift up our voices and praise to him. But I'm sure you've heard the term familiarity breeds contempt, right? You can be so familiar with something, you miss something. Husband and wife can be so familiar with it, we just take everything for granted. We usually only miss something when it's taken away from us. Kind of like what COVID did. All of a sudden, we're shut down, and all of a sudden, the stern, oh, well, well, we got to get together. And for some people... They just as soon stay home. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that. I get, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. All right? But there's part of us that there's a section that something's missing. And I took that for granted and how quickly it was taken away. Familiar, familiarity does breed contempt. And sometimes we can come here and, all right, we're going to have one or two songs and then the announcements. Kevin, or Kevin will get up and do announcements and then we'll have three more songs and we'll have a video and then the speaker will get up there and then sign off and we go home and eat. And sometimes we get, can get in that rut of not anticipating, God, you woke me up another day. What's going to happen today? What am I going to learn about God today? How am I going to praise him today? And sometimes we get it to that point where we just forget the news. And that's why that word salah, which literally means pause and calmly think of that, which we don't tend to do too often. I mean, after David reads that, he writes that, he says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Let's just stop and think. Are we ever praising you? Verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. For you have 
set their hearts on a pilgrimage. Now, honestly, when I read that several weeks ago, hearts on a pilgrimage, again, I've read some maybe four so many times, but I don't know how I miss that word pilgrimage. I mean, it just jumped off the page, pilgrimage, am I on a pilgrimage? Because all these thoughts come to mind of people on pilgrimages of what that really means. It's a journey, it's a sacred quest, if you will. It's a person usually going in search of something. That something that's going to help me, to grow me, to get me to a better place. It means that there's a transformation that's going to take place on a pilgrimage. And you have to understand this is written to the Jews because they made pilgrimages to the tabernacle. I mean, they were spread out, but the tabernacle was there by Jerusalem. And so they would make a pilgrimage to it. I mean, they did that where the temple was built. And so you have to figure, you and your family, we're going to go see the temple. We're going to be on a pilgrimage. And so you pack up, you get everything ready, and you start moving away. But other families start to join in. And then so all of a sudden, other families, and the closer you get to the place, the bigger the camps become, the bigger the fires become, the louder the songs are sung. Because now it's just not about you. It's about everyone coming to seek one thing. And when it says they have set their hearts on a pilgrimage, the pilgrims, pilgrimage doesn't belong to the half-hearted, but to those who throw all their energies into it. Without the heart, you're just taking a walk. Spurgeon said, neither prayer, praise, or hearing God's word will be pleasant or profitable to a person who has left their hearts behind. Again, if coming to Horizon or any church for that matter is just about checking a box. And that's the danger of watching online because when you can pause it and go mow the lawn and then come back out, and, and I mean, you can Again, I remember someone saying, man, it was the greatest Sunday I ever had. I had my Dr. Pepper, my chew, and it was, great, it was the greatest church service I've ever been in. I, I get it. I, I get it. I get it. But let me tell you guys, if, if you're not coming with your heart ready, it doesn't matter what music's being played. It doesn't matter who's preaching, what passage is being used, what video is up. It's just going to be words, consonants, and syllables because you left your heart behind. David knew, guys, if you're on a pilgrimage, if you're on the sacred journey, you have to engage heart. Heart has to be a part of that. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 20, 22, to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It takes everything. It's just not about a calendar day. It's just not about an hour and a half that you've taken out of your schedule. Good news is we get God. But this pilgrimage, I promise you, and many of you know this, this pilgrimage will lead you to a place. As a matter of fact, verse 6 says this. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. The word baka means tears. 
the Valley of Bacaw is hardship. The Valley of Bacaw means the desert dry. Because I guarantee you on your pilgrimage, you're going to come to those times. Tears will take place. Hardships are in line. I mean, some of you know this all too well. Whether it was a long time ago or if it's just this week. Most of my prayers that I pray every day are about people who are in the Valley of Baca. They don't see a way out. It's dry and they're thirsty. But the beauty of this is this, they make it a place of springs. See, they make a choice. They make a decision. They're on this pilgrimage. Their hearts are dedicated to this. And even though they're walking through a difficult valley, I, I can't tell you the occasion my mom said this to me, but I can see her saying it to me. I don't know if what I'd been going through or whatever. She says, honey, you got to understand something. Is that there's always mountaintops. You can always be on a mountaintop. But here's the thing about a mountaintop. Not much life is up on a mountaintop. It's dry up there. Not much grows. You can see a great distance. But when you look in the valley, that's green. That's where the growth is. That's where life is. It's not on the top. You can't, you can't stay up here. It's down the valley where we grow. Isn't it? I mean, isn't it during the difficult times? During the valley of Baca, where the tears and the sadness and the hardships are, but they make a place of springs. And the autumn rains also come and cover it with pools because God, there are things that happen that we had nothing to do with. And all of a sudden, this is provided. And all of a sudden, this comes. And all of a sudden, this pool of refreshment comes rushing in. You go, where did this come from? How did this happen? Because yesterday, it was dry yesterday. I was wondering why I'm even here. But today, I'm refreshed. Because the gospel is that God's on this journey with you. You get God. He's not left you. Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Technically, guys, we're all walking in that valley now. We don't know when that day will but because of the gospel, you've got God. Psalm 81.7 says this, in your, in your distress you called and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Selah, remember that. Because that's why I, I don't journal every day. I don't journal even every other day. But I do journal, and one of the things I do with my journal, and I'm about one or two pages left in this one, I'm going to put another, another section in there. I've got a stack of them in my safe. Someday my kids and family will go through this, but maybe, or use it for toilet paper by that time, I don't know. But that's my life, and I've recounted that. And so when I go back and read those, where, what's the year I do that? I get away, and I bring the whole stack, and I just go through, oh, totally forgot about that. And God's faithfulness here and God's faithfulness. That's what Salaya means. Remember? Remember when you were tested in the thundercloud there, Israel? 
That's right. You were faithful, Dad. Psalm 107, 35, he turned the desert into a pool of water and the parched ground into a flowing spring. Psalm 30, 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. He did that. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope because as believers in Christ, yeah, we're going to grieve. We're going to be sorrowful. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be tears. But we don't grieve the same way. We grieve with hope that someday this will all be better. Someday we will see them again. We have a different process because why? Through that valley of Bacah, he promises to bring the springs. He promises not to leave us because the gospel's promise is that I get God. Verse 7 says, and they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Because when you walk through the valley and you see how God has provided, you become stronger. And because of that strength, it gives you more strength for the next time. That's why some of you have kind of been boom, boom. Some of you wonder, God, do you have the right address? Because it seems like these are lining up pretty quick. But when I look back, I go, I made that through that. I'm a stronger person now because of it, which has also prepared me for the next one that will come. Not if it will come, it will come. So strength goes to strength because the nearer the goal, the stronger it's pulled. The nearer I am to Zion that day when I'll stand before him, the stronger is the pool because he's been so faithful. And I've recounted those days. And then he was faithful here, and he's faithful here, and he's done this, and I become stronger and stronger and stronger in this pool as I get closer to that day when I stand before him. That's when we grow. Verse 8 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. If I can't be in your house, then hear my cry. And our advantage, you don't got to be in a place, and David knew that too, because he's crying out in the wilderness. And God promises to hear him. And when he says the God of Jacob, you got to, who is Jacob? Remember, Jacob is the one who wrestled God. Jacob is the one in Genesis who held on to God and said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. That's the one, David. God, I'm not letting go. I'm going to count on your blessing. That's why verse 9, that's where it says Saleh again. Think of Jacob. Think of holding on. I'm going to hold on to you because I know that this blessing's coming. That's why he says verse 9, look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. And he's talking about himself. He was the shield. He was to be the king. He was anointed a king. But Saul's the king and has been chasing him down. And he says, remember your promise, God. Like God needs to be reminded of that. No, we just need to remind ourselves, God, remember, you said this. I was, you poured oil on my head. You said I was going to be a king. I just didn't realize it was going to be this many years later. How many promises that God made? We think we want it now when God says, not right now. It's going to be later probably when you least expect it. 
That's when I hold on to that promise. And that's why we need to know the promises of what, what we're promised as believers in Christ. Hold on to those things. There may be things God said, this is going to take place. Hold on to those things. Some things he's told you that you're not even supposed to tell anybody else. I remember what you said, God. I don't know how this is going to be. I thought it was going to be back here, but still... I keep some of those promises. Matter of fact, in this next section of journal, I will copy those pages and put them in this one because I constantly need to be reminded of what's been promised. Verse 10, another song we sing. Better is one day in your hot courts than a thousands elsewhere. I would rather be in a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And some of you know that song because uh, do we, how long do we have to keep singing? Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your house. Whatever one day than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day. And you go, all right, get over with it, all right? I mean, I, I, and I get that to a point, but really, am I in a place? Got one day hanging out with you is better than a thousand on the beach of Fiji. Some of you are going, hey, Fiji, I don't know about them. Well, see, this is where David was at. He had this eternal perspective. Just hanging out with you is better than any place else. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I would have, rather have the lowest position at the tabernacle than to dwell in the, in the tents of the wicked with all their riches and everything. Like how one writer put it, shiny stuff bores the saints. Because we know something's better. I'm not saying shiny stuff's bad. I like shiny stuff. But in comparison to what's coming, it's keeping it in perspective. Because better is one day. And a thousand anywhere else. That's why Philippians says, Philippians 3.8, what is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. How much does he consider lost? Everything. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may know gain. We used a song last week, Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And the good news of the gospel is that I get God. Verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Sun and shield. A sun for happy days, a shield for dangerous ones. A sun above and a shield around. A light to show the way and a shield to guard against the fears and perils that come. That's our God. I mean, when was the last time you came to God? Rather than just saying, pray for this, take care of this, you know, so-and-so is hurting, that you just said, God... You're my son. You, you bring life. You're my shield. You protect me. You protect me from things that I don't even know were coming at me. 
It says, the Lord bestows favor and honor. Some of your translations may say grace and glory, which Jesus is the fullness of all of that. He extends grace. Grace, the acronym G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And the rest of this passage, when it says, the Lord bestows favor and honor, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk as blameless. Guys, that doesn't mean if I give God a dollar, he's going to give me 10 back. That means if I just love Jesus, then I'm going to drive a fancy car, live in a big house, and have my airplane, and have all the money I need, and I'm never going to get sick. Never... That's prosperity gospel. That's not what the scriptures talk. And what it says here, no good thing does he withhold from those, because some things that you think are good, God doesn't. How many, I'm just like Garth Brooks, thank God for unanswered prayers that we thought, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this, your kids, but well, I need it, I need it. No, you don't. You'll blow yourself up. I'm not going to let you have that. Because what? You have their best interest in mind. So does God. And he's not going to withhold any good thing. The kicker here, to those whose walk is blameless. Any blameless people in this room? Anyone here that want to admit that they're blameless? No strikes against you? I'm not blameless. You're not blameless. So I guess he doesn't have to worry about giving us any good thing because none of us are blameless. He's talking about obedience here, guys. We all fall. We all come to God and repent on a regular basis. Father, forgive me for my attitude. Forgive me for my actions. Forgive me for my thoughts. I want to be obedient to you. And here's the deal. God loves obedience. God rewards obedience. And he doesn't want to hold things. I mean, what a wide promise that is. And our Father in heaven will hold nothing good away from us who are blameless. Because in Christ, he doesn't see my sin anymore. When I stand before him on judgment day, it's not going to be because of my sin, because Jesus took care of that. It's going to be how I lived my life, what I did with the things that he gave me. That's so why Psalm 84, verse 12 says at the end, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. One more quote from Spurgeon. A man must know the Lord by the life of real faith. Or he can have no true re rejoicing in the Lord's worship, his house, his son, or his ways. And the good news is I get God. Keith Green, I hate to say, wrote this 40 years ago. Wow, I can't believe it's been 40 years since he wrote this. And he'd probably add some things to this today if he were still here, but he said this. If your heart takes more pleasure in reading novels or watching TV or going to the movies or talking to friends or Twittering or cell phones or whatever it may be, then in just sitting alone with God and embracing him, sharing his cares and his burdens, weeping and rejoicing with him, then how are you going to handle forever and ever in his presence? You'd be bored to tears in heaven if you're not ecstatic about God now. See, that verse should have Salaya after it. Wow. 
If you're happy with all those things, and you have a problem sitting alone with God, embracing Him, sharing His cares and burdens, how are you going to know this? That's when you're in His Word. What, what concerns the heart of God? What burdens the heart of God? What, what is He asking of me to do? When I see things that are taking place in the world, when, when I see what's happened in the churches, when I see families being slaughtered, when I, when I see these things, do I weep or just say, oh, thank God it's not me? Because God does. Then how are you going to handle forever and ever in his presence? It's kind of like a marriage. If, I, if I'm counseling a couple, said that we really don't want to spend any time together. But we like, the, we like the idea of marriage. We can save on taxes, all right? But we'll just be roommates with no connection responsibility. Well, obviously, I'm not doing that with marriage. It's kind of, it's kind of like when somebody says, I'm going to come up with a prenup. Prenup, so you're already planning to fail? I, I don't get that. No. But if I can't just sit with God, and be still. That's one thing God has given me the ability to do is just do nothing. I have no problem with nothing. I have no problem sitting and staring. I got lots to do. There's not like I don't have nothing to do. I got plenty of things to do. But I sure enjoy sitting and just thinking. Did that this morning. I mean, I was up at three car alarm going off down the street, then I, then I couldn't go back to sleep, so all right, I normally get up at four, so if I fall asleep in the second service, that might happen, I don't know, um, which means I had a little hour head start on things this morning, which meant it gave me more time to sit down in my poker room and just pray, text pastors that I know are up and ready to get in their pulpit, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm seeing you preach today. Preach with the power of the Spirit of God. I love those times. They need to be more times. Because, guys, that's what heaven's going to be. I'm going to be in the presence of God. So let's have a Salem moment. Let's have a time of positive thing. So how are you on your pilgrimage? You on one? No? Or it's been paused? Heart status, I got no heart. <laughs> I got half-hearted or I'm just, I've got my whole heart in this. And then what needs to change? What needs to be taken out of your schedule? What needs to not be such a big deal that you can focus in on what God is all about? Father, I thank you for the psalms here because it gives us time to focus. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who enjoy getting together to fellowship, but to be ever praising you. To be a people that can say, one day with you is better than a thousand anywhere else. Knowing that you hold no good gift from your children that you love obedience, you reward obedience. And the good news is that we have a relationship with you, 24 hours, seven day a week access. 
the creator of the universe. Today, since it's all we got, let's not forget that, Father. Help us to be reminded of that, to take advantage of today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.